0: Welcome to today's edition of Draft Utopia. Chris Ransom here. I am going to break down a lot today as far as headlines, news. Let's start with the Washington Redskins. The team is potentially considering name changes. So I wrote a list of teams down, the Sentinels, the Tigers, the Elephants, the Donkeys, the Monuments, the Hogs, the Warriors, and the Pigskins. I think these are the eight best names that are not offensive because apparently that's what Washington wants. They want a name that's not offensive. And the Washington... uh, I don't want elephants or donkeys because we don't want to drag politics into this. But I'm not going to fault Dan Snyder if he changes the name to the donkeys because I just think that's funny because he's making fun of the uh, woke America, woke culture. Sentinels, I think, is the best name, though, because the Washington Sentinels is a team name in the replacements. That was the movie with Shane, Keanu Reeves as Shane Falco. That was a great movie. So I would pick the Sentinels and just rebrand the team. I think that would be the most effective route. Honestly, I hope there isn't change. Well, I don't know if I hope there isn't. I sound like a hypocrite because on one end of the spectrum, you got got diehard Washington fans that like the logo, that don't think it's offensive. There are surveys from 2016 saying 9 out of 10 Native Americans didn't find it offensive. And then there's another side of the equation, the PC woke culture, where people are saying it's offensive and corporations are threatening to pull their sponsors like Nike, FedEx. So I can't sit here and not going to side with or against Washington because if I side with them, I'm going to look like a racist. And if I side against them, I'm going to look like cuck Yeah. I'm going to look like somebody who is pushing an agenda rather than someone who has genuine intentions, and I want to be somebody with genuine intentions. So, I'm not going to side for or against this because honestly, I just don't care. I don't think this is newsworthy yet. Daniel Snyder and his organization are looking into potential changes. They're reviewing the name. They're going through a process to determine whether the name is appropriate or not to keep. And they're trying to be as low-key about it as possible. And on Wednesday, when I read about this news, before it started trending on social media, before it became the thing to talk about, I said that there's going to be a name change after this season. They'll play as the Washington Redskins for one more season, and then there's going to be a name change in 2021 because here's why. Dan Snyder wants to go back to RFK Stadium at some point, and he can't without the name change. Now the corporations are hassling him about it. So there's going to be a change. Like, logistically, it's just going to happen, I think, Because at the end of the day, Snyder's goal is to make money. And if he changes the team name and they build a new stadium, they can sell new logo, new jerseys, new merchandise, and make money. And that's what this is about here. Let's not kid ourselves. It's about making money. This is a business. And times are tougher than ever with the coronavirus. Um, there's possible talks that South carolina's governor might shut down like football they might like create a state law where they don't they can't play football this year because coronavirus cases have spiked in certain areas of the country las vegas l a chicago there's different areas okay i don't know think it's as bad as Chicago as it is in Vegas or um Texas or Florida even but you know it's it is what it is, and it's unfortunate because. We're going to get MLS and NBA back. There is no schedule for the MLB out yet, which is kind of, kind of stinks because everyone who wants to follow the MLB can't without a schedule. And the NHL is going to come out with a schedule, I'm going to say within the next week or two, because my theory is the NHL is going to release the, the, the schedule for the qualifying rounds once Phase 3 arrives. And the teams will report on the 26th like Bob McKenzie hinted on Twitter and then the games will start August 1st. I believe McKenzie when he says that. Here's the thing, though. I think we're probably going to see a, a schedule come out for the games within the next week. I'm not asking for, uh, um, for them to play right now. It's not safe. They have to make sure they go through all these protocols and procedures. I get that. So I'm saying by the 13th, or the 14th at the latest. July 13th is a Monday. I think by that week, that'll be the week Phase 3 begins, and I think some point in that week, they'll announce the days the games are going to take place. That way... And, and these these games are going to be... I don't know if... They're not going to be accessible to the fans, but they are going to announce the games, so if they, there are dates for the games, they're going to be able to get that data... And upload it to um, scoreboards so sports sites can actually function and do report sports instead of just the news. The woke news. This just—it's not—it's not been a fun year for casual sports fans. But it's not been a fun year for most of the country. If I'm being completely honest, I mean, I was—I had a blast at the Senior Bowl. I got to watch the Super Bowl with my friends. I got to do some fun stuff in January and February, but. Ever since March, this has been the toughest year for a lot of Americans. I think the only reason I was able to get through it is because I have draft utopia. I have, I'm living my dream, writing code, talking about sports, podcasting, making money, doing what I love. So that's really the only reason I'm able to get by, survive this ordeal. But, you know, we got to do what we got to do to get by in these tough times. I'm going to work out more, doing other fun stuff. But, yeah, enough about the Washington Redskins in my personal life. People want more sports, more news. And I talked about Clemson. And Wednesday's going to be fun because Wednesday there will be soccer back on. Um, There will be soccer back on um on Wednesday. And then... We don't know when some of these other games are going to resume, but there's just a lot to look forward to. I did finish recoding the Week 8 games today, and I'm probably going to spend the rest of the day doing that and the rest of the 4th of July updating as many bi-weeks as I can. So there's not going to be a podcast tomorrow on Talk Show, but I will be back on TalkShoe on July 11th. I, don't, I just don't feel ethical about posting a podcast on the 4th of July on a Saturday cuz that day is reserved for independence day, hot dogs, fireworks. 4th of July is a holiday for me. So Yeah, and the final two games on the week 6 that I did not mention, Ravens Eagles is one. I mean, Lamar Jackson versus Carson Wentz in the Lincoln Financial Field. I think that could be a fun interconference matchup. And don't sleep on this Eagles team. I mean, they are, they deserve to be the underdogs. Baltimore should be favored, and they'll probably win. But Philadelphia's got the defensive backs; they're just as deep at defensive back as Baltimore. I think Baltimore might be slightly deeper, but both teams have four quality corners, and both teams have depth at receiver. They don't really; neither team really has a Pro Bowl caliber receiver, but both teams have lots of depth at this receiver position. Lamar Jackson and Wentz, two of the best young quarterbacks in the game. Both teams have strong offensive line play, even without um, Jason Peters at left tackle and Andre Dillard taking over. Carson Wentz still has continuity on that offensive line. Right guard Brandon Brooks is out, so are we going to see Jack Driscoll potentially start right away? Because I did love Driscoll coming out of Auburn, so if he's starting, I think Wentz might even have more time. So I wouldn't sleep on Philadelphia in this game. Now, Philadelphia's got three linebackers in this draft. And unless all three of them win starting jobs, Baltimore's probably gonna win this game. Because even if Philadelphia can neutralize Baltimore through the air, the combination of Lamar Jackson's dual threat ability, the combination of Mark Ingram, and the combination of rookie J.K. Dobbins will simply be too much for the Eagles to overcome. Even if their rookies, all three rookies do win starting jobs, I think the fact that the Ravens have that much firepower in both their backfield and Lamar Jackson Is why the Ravens win And the final Week 6 game Is Packers-Buccaneers It's in Tampa, Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady I think that could be a very fun game At Raymond James Stadium Assuming fans can go And if they can't, that's still going to be a fun game to watch And Chiefs-Broncos is another good Week 7 game I talked this game was supposed to be the Thursday night game in week six last year. It was supposed to be a hyped game, but Bradley Chubb got injured. Um I think Mahomes this was a game Mahomes chose to sit out because of the um whole I don't know, Mahomes had an injury early in last year and he sat out the Thursday night game. Matt Moore, I think, came in and did well enough to lead the Chiefs to a win, but Bradley Chubb also suffered a season-ending injury in that game. Now we'll get to see Denver stronger at full health, Kansas City at full health. So that could be a fun game. I still think Kansas City has too much offensive star power with all 22 starters back Their coordinators back. I'd give the advantage to Kansas City. However, Denver is going to make this game very interesting with Cortland Sutton, Judy, the weapons they've got, Drew Locke, the tight end tandem of Noah Fant and Albert O. Albert O was Locke's tight end at Missouri. I think the Broncos have the weapons to keep this close. And it's a good Week 7 matchup. It's a good test. And then the Sunday night game in Week 7 is Tampa Bay and the Las Vegas Raiders. This is a game that features Tom Brady and John Gruden. This I don't, I don't know if the Patriots have met, faced Gruden yet. I know Brady faced Gruden on the Patriots, but this is Gruden's first game against the Buccaneers since being rehired by the Raiders. I believe this is his first game. and It's in Vegas, Las Vegas, Nevada, Sunday Night Football, and Brady's playing. So some no tuck rule memories. It's not going to be snowing. Maybe things will be different for the Raiders this time. Derek Carr, it's going to be a very big primetime game, and it's a big game for both teams. It's probably going to be a game that sells out. I'd say if any game the Raiders have sells out this year, That's probably the game, just because it's the only chance Raiders fans get to see Brady. So this might be the only time we get to see Tom Brady in Las Vegas. Now, he did win in all... Tom Brady and Belichick did defeat all 32 NFL teams, okay? In the regular season, they did. The only QB head coach Tanner would ever do that. However, Belichick and Brady have not faced Las Vegas. So that kept... To so see if Belichick can beat Vegas without Brady, see if Brady can beat Vegas without Belichick, that's the tiebreaker. That's the regular season tiebreaker unless Juan Belichick or Brady gets another ring. So, yeah, that's what you're looking at. And Mike Evans, Godwin, Tampa Bay is loaded with receivers and tight ends. The Raiders didn't do enough to fix their secondary. Damone Arnett. He was a great number two corner next to um, Okuda, but he was a number two corner, not necessarily number one corner, and I'm not sure he's the right pick for the Raiders. So. And I just feel like even if he is the right pick, with all the weapons Brady's going to have, I think Tampa Bay should easily win this game. But it's going to be a fun game to watch to see how the crowd reacts, to see if Josh Jacobs can actually take, get some rushing yards and limit what Brady does. I think the Raiders, if they can run the ball on Tampa, they have a shot. But Devin White and their other inside linebacker—I um, don't—it's not Quan Alexander—but they have another really good inside linebacker besides Devin White. Might be Levante David. I'm not sure, but the the Buccaneers have some good inside linebackers, and they can limit what um, the Raiders do on the ground. prospect profile for this week is going to be Killian Hayes. I think I already talked about him. His dad played in France, and Killian Hayes is from Germany, so yeah, there's a lot of international players in this game, in this NBA draft. There's LeVar Ball's younger brother, LaMelo Ball. There's Killian Hayes. There's Point Guard from Germany. I think that's Killian Hayes, or something. And then there's Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State, and there's three very good point guards in that top six. But the thing I don't like about the NBA is they want to bring do like an eight-team playoff in September, and that makes no sense for the bottom eight teams. It's like the lottery's already been decided. Now we're just bringing these teams back for fun. There's no purpose unless the players on those teams want to come back. If they don't want to come back, just move on to next season. It's like, this is not smart. It's not responsible. And it's a gimmick to get more viewers. So this is why people just watch the NFL and they don't take the NBA seriously as they used to in the 90s and the early 2000s. I mean, NBA viewership's gone up, but that's mainly due to LeBron James and the athletes that came into the game. Durant, Harden, Curry... And Thompson, the Splash Brothers, Damian Lillard, just so many players that have done well in college basketball and watching their skill sets translate. And I've covered the drafts since 2012. I started covering the drafts for all the sports, NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and Major League Soccer back in 2011 on Shoe. So I've covered and I got live draft streams of every single draft for the past eight years. So, it's like, they uh, there's all this stuff going on. And everybody knows, even if you don't follow our podcast, if you follow those drafts, you know the guys in the league by now. Especially the ones that made it and went through the struggle to get their contracts and to earn what they make, the money they make. So, as far as I'm concerned... I mean, this top six is, looks very good. I don't think any player in this draft would go ahead of the top three players in last year's draft. I, I honestly don't. I think last year's top three with Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and uh, point guard, former um, Grizzlies point guard, Ja Morant and R.J. Barrett. I think that top three is head and shoulders better than anybody in this draft. Now, I think, because those guys were blue-chip talents. I'm talking guys that could warrant a 99 grade on NBA 2K at some point. That's how good those players were. And Barrett is not on the same level as Morant or Zion, but he's easily the third-best player in that draft. And I think R.J. Barrett would go number one in this draft. I'm just saying. Even with the short season and the coronavirus, I still think he'd probably be the first pick in this draft, even ahead of Wiseman and Edwards. But we'll see what Barrett does. The Knicks have to put a team around Barrett. It's unfortunate that the Knicks got him, but we'll see what happens, what the Dolan and the Knicks can do to make Barrett's life in the NBA easier. All right, so... I've talked about the prospect profiles for the NBA. And I am going to break down two teams on the state of the franchise, the Hawks and the Ducks. So before I get into that, you know what? We're going to do that now, and then we'll end the show with, what, the FBS? Because... What the FBS is going to be a team, South Alabama, I, I talked about it on yesterday's podcast. That's the team I'm going to break down. But since we're already on the subject of NBA, and Killian Hayes, LaMelo L- Ball, I did mock LaMelo Ball the Hawks. And I know, Hawks fa- I know basketball fans and Hawks fans loathe that pick. But it's like, the Timberwolves have D'Angelo Russell, the Warriors have Curry... And the Cavs have Garland and Colin Sexton. And Garland is. LaMelo Ball. Colin Sexton belongs in the starting five. Even though Edwards is the second best player in this draft, he belongs in the starting five. And Colin Sexton's more of a point guard than a shooting guard. He can be a two guard, but I think Sexton's a better fit at point guard. So, I mean, there's nowhere to put LaMelo Ball. If you look at the rosters, the depth charts, and the talents these teams have assembled. There's a reason why LaMelo Ball has slipped to uh, number 7. Even though he's a top 3 player in this draft, there's a reason he's slipped to teams like the Pistons or the Knicks. Now, if one of those teams does end up, if the Knicks end up with a lottery pick, they will get LaMelo Ball. I can pretty much guarantee that. And they'll have LaMelo Ball and Barrett, and they might finally have a, something to be optimistic about in New York. But with the Atlanta Hawks, they have Try Young one of the best young point guards in the NBA. Starter, a guy who exceeded my expectations. Kevin Herter, got him in the 2018 draft. DeAndre Hunter, 2019 draft, starting small forward. John Collins, a power forward. It was the 2016 or the 2017 NBA draft. It was one of those drafts, because I remember he went to Wake Forest, and I think it was Joey and I, were talking about him on one show. I think it was the 2017 draft. And then Clint Capella, they got a trade with the Houston Rockets. So... And there's not really a center worth taking. So unless the Hawks somehow end up with the number one pick and decide they're going to get Wiseman and they win the lottery, the Hawks are in a position where they benefit more from trading this pick unless they want to get a player for depth and slowly develop that player into the lineup. Because if they can't trade the pick, then they're going to take the best player on the board and stash him for depth. And LaMelo Ball would be a bench player in Atlanta. He would. I mean... If Herder could underperforms, you could move Young to shooting guard, or you could put ball and Young as your guards. And maybe putting Young at shooting guard would work because Lamelo Ball would be able to pass and be the floor general and try Young could just shoot it at will. So I think that could work. But I like to simply list these players by position and Lamelo. Gary Parish of CBS did mock LaMelo ball at one, but it's like the Hawks are in Hawks are a bottom 10 team in defense, but they have five starters now. And once these guys were healthy, they were able to play well down the stretch. And I think they're going to come together and really be a great team to watch in the future. I really do. I think the Hawks have a very bright future. They just need to defend better or get a coach that can defend. If they don't want to get another player that can defend, get a coach that can teach this team how to play defense. And that's all they really have to do. I think the Hawks have a great future lined up for them. And the other team I was going to break down, I'll look at the Atlanta Hawks contracts here. I will, because then I'm going to look at the Anaheim Ducks contract afterwards. But, yeah, Jeff Teague's a free agent in 2020 as is Tre- beyond Graham and Vince Carter, who's going to retire. So you look at the Hawks' situation here, they really do need a backup guard. They will lose two guards to free agency. And I know fans want to see LaMelo Ball start, and they're pissed about that, okay? <laughs> they're pissed that LaMelo Ball can't go to a team where he's a starter. But this is a business, and the Hawks have go- Young and Herder, And they need a third guard on their lineup. They need a swing guard. They need a backup shooting guard and a backup point guard. So if they were at four and LaMelo Ball was there, I think they would take him just using logic and deductive reasoning. Not saying it's what they should do. I'm saying that's probably what they would do in that scenario. I mean, they got Cam Reddish in last year's draft too. So, I mean, they're set at small forward for at least four years. They have Try young under contract. They have a club option for Try young for 2021. Hawks also have a club option on Herter. Club option on Hunter as well. And Clint Capella is under contract until 2023. He got that huge deal with the Rockets, and the Rockets traded him to Atlanta. So the Hawks, they're going to have, and both Young and Herder are RFAs in 2022, and they can extend those guys. So they're going to have the same starting five until at least 2023. At least. And nobody... Everyone's averaging at least 10 points per game. Nobody's underperforming. Everybody's doing the bare minimum to get by and to keep their jobs. But they don't have any bench players, and their defense is awful. So the Hawks have to get bench players and guys that can really defend well. If they want... And, and can score... You want them to score at least 10 points per game on the bench as well, but you want defenders too. So if you're drafting someone, you want to draft somebody that defends well and can score off the bench. So that's that can be kind of tricky. So I can see why the Hawks would want to move down out of this spot. But I think they'd only move down if a King team gave up like a King's ransom, like their first rounder and a 2021 first rounder. Kind of like what the Hawks gave up when they moved up for Trae Young. And Luka Doncic. Oh, no, wait, the Mavs moved up for Luca Doncic. My apologies. The Mavs moved up for Doncic at 3, and the Hawks got Young at 5, thanks to the moving down. And they got another pick, and I think that was Hunter. So, that's my bad. I don't remember... If that's the exact truth. I do have draft databases that I write in code. And I could look this up. But you guys would rather hear me talk about sports. So I'm going to do that. And I think the Hawks have a very bright future as far as. And they're in the negative for cap space. So they can't spend money on free agents. They can't. It's not feasible. So the Hawks, because they're in the negative, they can't spend money on free agents. They have to go out and build this team through the draft. And they got a good starting five. They just have to keep this core together as long as they can. Because if they're in the negative, they might lose these players to free agency. And that's one of the disadvantages of being a team that doesn't have as much exposure like the Atlanta Hawks. I think they do have a window of opportunity to contend. But the challenge is going to be making sure those players are able to be... Like, if the Hawks make the playoffs in 2021 and then in 2022, the challenge is going to be to keep this core together once these guys are RFAs. Because if you don't, and these guys are still RFAs, then at that point, their players are going to want out. And you're going to have to rebuild all over again. So, that's going to be tricky for what the Atlanta Hawks are going through, their situation. Because I think they do have a very bright future. And now I'm going to break down the Anaheim Ducks. And the Ducks moved down to number 6 in the NHL draft after the lottery. And I'm not going to break down who they're going to... Because is coming back next year. He was injured this year. Ketzler was injured. Bakes and Henrik. Henrik had to play on the first line. And he just was not very good on the first line. So if Getslav does not... Cannot stay healthy in his contract year. I think he's done with the Ducks after next season. Kessler, Kessler, Ducks might actually cut Kessler to keep Getzlav. I could see them doing that. Backe's, same thing could be said about Backe's. I just don't think, I don't know. Dave Backe's might stay in Anaheim, but they put this team together this year so they'd contend, and the the, the, the the Ducks have had a lot of injuries. Fowler and Lindholm were injured. Good Branson's injured. Three of their top blue line players were injured. Ryan Miller, their backup to John Gibson. Miller was a great starter early in his career, but he struggled, and now he became the backup to John Gibson. They do need a backup goalie. And modified no-trade clause. Because some of these players do have no-trade clauses. But it's a modified no-trade clause. It's not a uh, stone-cold, ironclad no-trade clause. It's a s- modified no-trade clause. And a lot of these players have modified no-trade clauses, meaning they will only accept a trade to the team they want to play for, which, again, is not good if you're trying to build a roster. And I'm not sure if the hot, the Ducks have the players. Isaac Lundstrom was a player I did like out coming out of Lulela. It's a solid prospect. I was not high on the centers in 2018, for the most part. But that was a nice value pick. Maxime Coitos. There's a lot of players in the Ducks system that are okay, but they really don't have a true blue-chip prospect to build around. So what they do at 6 in this draft is really going to be paramount. Sam Steele, their uh, 30th pick in the 2016 NHL draft. Max Jones. He was also drafted by the Ducks in the 2016 NHL draft. He'll be ready at some point. And the Ducks are a team that's, they honestly, they only have $1 million to spend on free agency as well. So they're going all in next year, the Ducks. They're not playing until next season. And they're going all in, meaning that if they cannot get, they get off to another bad start like this year and the injuries just pile up. I expect them to unload and trade a lot of star players for draft picks, kind of like what the Ottawa Senators did when they got Carlson. I kind of expect that. Yeah, I think Ketzlav would get traded back. I think a lot of players in this team, even Kessler, could be open to trades. Good Branson, definitely. Lindholm and Fowler will be on the team, as will John Gibson, but a lot of their forwards, I think we could see this team reload it forward. Because the next few NHL drafts are going to be very stacked at that full, at that center. Yeah, just watching the 2019 and 2020 Junior League Bantam drafts, there's going to be an influx of centers in the next two to three, four NHL drafts. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the Ducks try to reload with young prospects, kind of like what the LA Kings did. And I already talked about the LA Kings and every other team that was projected to pick in the top five. I've previewed five um nhl teams at least i think i've previewed six because i previewed the savers and i previewed everyone that was projected to pick in the top five so new jersey's the only team in that top seven prior to the lottery that i have not broke down yet so six and six is 25 i broke down um Packers yesterday, so the Packers I'm only trying to figure out what teams in the NFL I broke down for state of the franchise Bengals, Browns yes, Patriots, yes Jaguars, yes, so that's four Bills, yes so that's five and then the Packers is one of the teams I broke down I think that's it. I'm not sure, because broke down two AFC North, two two AFC East teams. That's four. Yeah, so there's the Jaguars, so it's five at least. That's five teams minimum. And then the Packers are the team I broke down in the NFC North Division, they're the team I broke down yesterday. They were a surprise team, but that's 6. So 32 and 6 is 26. There's got to be another team I broke down extensively. I'm pretty certain I did break down another team. Maybe I don't remember what team it was at this moment, but I'm pretty confident I broke down another NFC team besides the Packers. It's just, my memory's kind of vague at this point. I feel extremely foggy. So, uh, it's my fault, because I, it's my responsibility to know that, because I don't want to break down the same team again by accident. So, there's 32 NFL teams. I broke down six, so that's 26 at least. But I think there was a, another team besides those teams that I broke down may have been the Steelers. Yeah, it was. Because um, we talked about the training camp opening and Juju's contract year. So pretty much. And we already did an AFC North draft on TalkShoe. So really the only team I haven't broke down in depth. So there will be a few shows where I don't break down NFL next. Teams for State of the Franchise we will still have us We'll still have the the FBS, but there's not going to be any NFL teams because if I want to try to balance this out, there's 31 NHL teams, 30 NBA, 30 MLB, 26 MLS, 32 NFL. If I've covered, I've covered at least seven NFL teams, and I think the third team was the Steelers, so that means if I've covered all those teams, 6 AFC, 1 NFC, that means I've there's 25 teams left. And meanwhile, there's 26... 25 NHL teams left. And I'd argue there's 26, I think, for the NBA. 26 for baseball. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's... Yeah, there's 26 for baseball, 26 for the NBA, 26 for soccer, and 26 for the KHL. So... There will be at least one show next week where it's just very chill, very laid back, and that's pretty much it before I go into What the FBS. But before I do that, I will update you guys on the Battle Fantasy Football League. Okay. So, let's update you guys on round two so far. I did this on Wednesday, Devontae Adams went to the HB Vinegar Strokes at 11. Um, they moved up from 11 with Taco Corp. They, moved up, they gave up number 68 to move up two spots. So 11 and 90 for 13 and 68. And HB Vinegar Strokes took Devontae Adams, best player on the board. Riley went with Russell Wilson, um, Taco Corp. Thirteenth pick was... Nick Chubb going to um, Taco Corp from the trade. So Taco Corp, yeah, they used the keeper on DeAndre Hopkins in the first round, but they traded out of 11 and got 13 and 68 for 11 and 90 and then went with Nick Chubb. Drew Brees, um, Brees Nuts, three-time champion of the league, going for a four-peat, a historic, goes with Julio Jones. Bannell's trying to move down. He goes with... Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the rookie out of, um, yeah, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, basically the first rookie off the board. I was surprised, because I had 10 rookies in my top 50, and I told Bannell that I think there are 10 rookies in the top fifty. And I got my keeper on Dalvin Cook. Yeah, and that is a great pick for Jason. I am phrasing the pick. I'd use the second-round keeper on Dalvin Cook. I explained this on Wednesday. So, so far, my team gangster squad has Tom Brady, ninth-round keeper. I gave up a ninth-round pick to keep Tom Brady. I gave up a second-round pick to keep Dalvin Cook, who's a top-ten pick in most fantasy leagues. So I have Mixon and Dalvin Cook both in contract years as my running back tandem. And there's a lot of... um, Yeah, so some of the guys that were ahead of um, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, Amari Cooper, Mark Andrews, Odell Beckham Jr., Juju Smith-Schuster, Adam Thielen, and Todd Gurley. There were—I had eight players ahead of— I mean it's so deep at receivers, so I understand why Bannel is loading up at that position, loading up at running back and tight end, because that's what I did. I had Alvin Cook, used the keeper on him, got Joe Mixon. Now my backfield set, and I've got picks. It I got picks in rounds three through eight to get three receivers. Rounds three, four, and five, and then rounds six through eight, I can get my starting tight end and some flex players, a flex player at running back or receiver and then I can get another receiver for depth and I can really load up on uh, depth players and talent because my strategy is I think there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks that you can get later in the draft and I just feel like this is a pick where I good as far as talent goes and now I'm adding Denzel Mims to my big board yeah and then I'll probably add Van Jefferson after that. Yeah, I'm adding a lot of rookies. Yeah, so Denzel Mims... I think Denzel Mims is going to be the number one receiver of on the New York Jets. I really do. I think he's that talented. And he's already signed his rookie deal. So I think he can come in there and become the number one receiver on the Jets. So that's why I'm wait, playing the waiting game at receiver... Because there's just so much talent there. All you gotta do is hit on one pick. And honestly, it's best player on the board for me at this point. It really is. So, I'm really curious to see how this is gonna pan out. Alright, now that I talked about the Battle Fantasy Football League, assuming Mark... Marks on the clock. I'll message. Yeah. I'm Yeah, because I'm just trying to find out where South Alabama is listed. And then we're going to go into what the FBS here to wrap up this show. And I that yesterday's show was fun, 75 minutes. I didn't think there was a time limit. So once we get to August, I'm going to preview one conference by day as well as Notre Dame, because Notre Dame's in the top 10 teams, because once we get to the top 10, I'm going to break this down by conference so I can try to get everything I want to get in in before the start of the season, and some of these teams, these teams in New York, are really going to be affected by this coronavirus. Kwan Balmer Keith Galman are two of the players that look like they could be second or third team players. I don't know if either one is draft eligible. Balmer is a Kwan Baker. It's not Balmer, it's Kwan Baker. My apologies, but Kwan Baker is a senior third team player and South Alabama is going to be 820 yards, 8 touchdowns, and only 2 interceptions. Desmond Trotter really finished the year on a high note as a true freshman and played reasonably well as a freshman. So if Desmond Trotter can actually maintain the starting job and have another breakout season, he could be on the radar for 2022 or 2023. I think Trotter could be a dark horse for 2023 at this point. It's too early to say, because we've got to see the guy play. But he showed promise in his freshman season. Kwan Baker and Jalen Tolbert combined for 1,095 receiving yards and 9 touchdowns. So, for South Alabama having Tolbert and Baker back at wide receiver, the receivers are really going to be the bread and butter of this SMU team. Not SMU, sorry. So South Alabama, they're the Jaguars, not the Mustangs. That's my fault. I screwed up. Okay, but South Alabama, bread bread butter's going to be Tolbert Baker. And it's funny I said SMU because SMU's also known for their receivers. You look at a Proch last year, Emmanuel Sanders. Um, yeah, they've had good receivers. Cortland Sutton, too. SMU's a good receiver school, so not taking away anything from SMU. I'm just correcting myself for mispronouncing the grammar. But anyway, back to South Alabama, because that's the team we'll talk about on What the FBS. And you know what? Maybe we'll break down SMU for fun, too. Because that's a fair punishment for screwing up the grammar. But Brian Anderson and Jacob Shoemaker are both senior offensive linemen. And those interior linemen at center and right guard along with the receivers, those are the players to watch. Returning starters and seniors, those are the guys that are going to have to step up if this offense is going to have success. And I think if Desmond Trotter does have a breakout year, it'll be because these receivers are making his job really easy. Riley Cole at outside linebacker is a returning starter. He is a player to keep an eye on. A.J. DeShazor had 61 tackles. He's undersized, but he's speedy. He's a very good athlete. As And he plays the rover position, so... I mean... South Alabama's going to blitz, and they're going to blitz quite a bit with this 34 scheme. Galman and Young are the—Devin um, Ro- Roche, they are contributors. It's a solid pass defense. Um, Ryan Melton's a sophomore, but it's a deep rotation. I mean, this is a good. I think the secondary on defense and the outside linebackers are the players to watch for in this South Alabama team. And the fact that they've got edge rushers for a 34 scheme and pass defense, they're going to do a better job against passing teams. And I think if Trotter can do well, I think the passing game could actually surprise some people. They do play at Southern Miss, they probably lose that game. They'll beat Grambling State, they lose to Florida. UAB's a winnable game, though. They'll beat Grambling in their new stadium. UAB, two wins. They can beat Troy, Texas State, four, Louisiana Monroe, five. Honestly, I think they do get six wins. I know they're projected at four and eight, but I think their schedule, they're a surprise team. Like Old Dominion, they're a surprise team. They have an easier schedule than Old Dominion, too. And I just think they're in a much better position than they were I mean, Steve Campbell's two and nine, five and nineteen in his two years at South Alabama. So Campbell needs this Hancock Whitney Stadium. It's in Mo- Mobile, um, the new stadium. They're in Mobile. That's where they uh, South Alabama is. The draft starts in Mobile, and South Alabama's football team is in that region. I actually got to see the new stadium. It was a Senior Bowl practice, but anyway. I already told you guys that story on yesterday's show, if you managed to listen to the end. But Steve Campbell's first two years didn't go well. And I think if they can actually... um, They do have a tough schedule, but I think six wins is manageable. If the secondary and outside linebackers are as good as advertised and the receivers show up, and Desmond Trotter does well for an entire 12-game season, I think a bowl game for South Alabama isn't out of the cards. Now, obviously, it's going to be an early bowl game, a December bowl game, but a December bowl game for the Jaguars, the South Alabama Jaguars, is more realistic than the Jacksonville Jaguars making the playoffs. It's just, it's a realistic goal. And since I screwed up with South Alabama, I am going to own up to my punishment and break down SMU, the Southern Methodist Mustangs. Yeah, they are a fun team to break down because... They have a lot of talent as well. Their quarter, wait, is SMU in the top 25? Because if they are, I'm going to have to wait on them. Nope, they're not in the top 25. And and that's weird. I don't see SMU in these rankings. The disrespect here is real. Oh, they're 53. So, they're 53rd. I mean, this is a team that was unbeaten until the loss to Memphis in primetime. They were undefeated up until that point. So, I'm not sure why they're projected to do so poorly. Yeah, I just can't find anything on SMU. I don't know what conf I think SMU, I thought SMU was in Conference USA or the AAC. I don't see them in either one of those conferences. Okay, American Athletic Conference, they are in that conference. Alright, hold on, give me a second here. Reggie Robinson Jr. is back at wide receiver. He's a senior. They had James Proch last year. I'm just saying, do not be surprised if Reggie Robinson Jr. turns out to be a senior bowl player. Shelley, um, they have a few guys. Grantson and Morris, they're both seniors. Hayden Howerton's a senior. So, Robertson's the guy who has the best shot at going to Mobile because, let's face it, went to Mobile last year. And Reggie Robertson Jr. is a West Virginia transfer who averaged 18.7 yards per catch at West Virginia before suffering a foot injury. And I think he played with Will Greer at West Virginia too. So he was like a slot receiver, a speedy receiver. So he could fill that void... And they have Rasheed Rice, a sophomore, and Calvin Wiggins, a true freshman. Or Calvin Wiggins is a redshirt freshman. I'm not sure if he is. But with the way SMU's developed their receivers with Sutton and Proche, I'm not putting anything past these Mustang guys. These guys are—Danny Gray is going to be in the conversation as well. He was one of their top recruits. They have great bench players. Um, One of them is Danny Gray, um, Thad Johnson, another player, and they got um, Keith, Keith Burns, a freshman redshirt. They have a lot of receivers, SMU, but they don't really have that true number one guy. And Bushele is going to have Howerton, Kobe, there's a C-O-B-E Bryant. I don't know if it's a Kobe Bryant, like the NBA player, but it's with a C instead of a K. I'm not sure if it's. Kobe or Sobe or whatever, but I really do like these SMU guards, I think. SMU had a really good running back last year. He's no longer on the team. Um, Xavier Jones took graduation, and they lost Kevon Freeman. So their third-string running back from last year, TJ McDaniel, comes in. And has to go from third string to starter in one year. He has to make that leap in order for SMU to be very good. Because SMU was four. SMU started 8-0. And because they lost to Memphis, Navy, and Florida Atlantic in the Boca Raton Bowl. They began the year at 53 in the rankings. Which is fair because Florida Atlantic demolished them 52-28. to Lane Kiffin's squad demolished SMU, so I I mean if that's that's probably the biggest reason why they're ranked so low because this was a team that went eight 0 to start last year but they lost quite a bit of talent and on the defensive side of the ball Delano Robinson, um Richard McBride Trevor Denbow they have three senior linebackers. And they have two returning starters at corner, and Brandon Stevens, a senior, and Armani Johnson, a junior. So their linebackers and corners are going to be a strength for the defensive side of the ball. And that's the thing. Like they were 125th among 130 FCS teams in pass defense. Yet they're both of their corners are coming back. So that's really the one thing to be optimistic about. And they got Mike Williams, a defensive tackle from Stanford, a transfer player for depth. So they are going to have some depth. And SMU's got some tough competition. They do host TCU on September 26th. That's probably their toughest game. I mean, because I could see them beating Texas State, Stephen F. Austin, North Texas. Then they host Memphis on October 1st, and Memphis will win that game. I, I don't know if SMU can beat Memphis because this Memphis team has Brady White back as starting quarterback. They have a running back, back. Even though they lost Antonio Gibson, they got another good running back. At Memphis is what SMU was last year. They really are. They're that deep. Memphis has got TJ Carter back at corner. So Memphis has a lot of players coming back. And they do, I'm not going to... They're projected as a 28th best team in the nation preseason. DeMonte, Coxie, Brady White, Kenneth Gala, G- 20, Kenneth Gainwell. And this is a team that went 12-2. and two. They lost to Temple by two points and they lost their bowl game to Penn State. So, if they had beaten Temple, we're probably looking at them in a New Year's Day bowl game. Or maybe even in the playoff, because... I don't think they would have made the playoff, but they would have had a resume that was strong enough. And they have a lot of talent coming back. So if a non-Power 5 team can do it, this team might be the team. If they can get by Purdue, and they actually they lost to the Temple. They host Temple, so Purdue, Temple, and at Cincinnati, I don't know. I feel like somebody, Cincinnati's probably the team with the best odds to pull the upset. That would be the team. Because I think if they can keep recruiting strong, Memphis could be a team to keep an eye on. Memphis could be a dark horse. I mean, they have a lot of talent returning. And I don't, I think they could be the first team since Central Florida to go 12-0 and 0 in the AAC. So, and SMU came close to doing it. And this Memphis team has a lot of players coming back. So, I think Memphis is SMU's biggest competition. They just need to worry about... They'll continue to develop good receivers, and their defense is probably better than it's been in recent years with all the seniors they have. But you look at the defense. Defense was not a strong point for SMU, looking at what they did last year. their only team that they held to under 20 points was Texas State. So that's really the strong point. So while they do have a lot of seniors coming back, they also got a lot of work to do. Because they were in a lot of shootouts last year, SMU was, and at Memphis, I think Memphis is the best team in the AAC. Period. I don't know if they're gonna. I think they could end up in the top ten to end the year. To Be completely honest. So, but they don't. They they were overpowered against Penn State in that bowl game. And I mean, we talked about South Alabama, covered them. Covered SMU because I accidentally referred to SMU as South Alabama, and I also managed to cover Memphis. So I covered three teams in one show, and still finished everything within the hour, which is amazing because that's just perfect. Because like us on Facebook, follow me on Twitter at Draft Utopia. You can follow at Brian Lewis, the Spin Zone, his page, Facebook, Twitter. He. Follow NFL or in time at Draft Evolution. That's Joey's Twitter handle. Um, yeah, LinkedIn, YouTube, subscribe, and go to Bitch Shoot. Subscribe there too. Thanks, so long.